Well, today I have up here my bag of sin. I don't know if you can make that out. That's supposed to say sin. I got my hula hoop. We're going to have fun today. And I actually brought with me today a physical Bible. And uh, I have the Bible on here, but uh, anyway, I wanted to bring that with you. We'll get into those here in just a moment. We are in a series right now entitled Liar, Liar. And uh, we're, what we're trying to do is we're not, we're not trying to focus our attention on Satan per se, but what we want to do is expose the lies of the enemy, which are so detrimental to us in our lives in many different ways. If we believe those lies, if we latch onto those lies, those lives can have a devastating effect upon our, upon our lives. And so we are talking about that. Last week we talked about the lie, the first lie that we talked about took us way back to Genesis chapter 3 where Satan began to challenge and he lied about God's word and basically said to Adam and Eve, you can't trust God's word. In other words, you, can't, you don't want to build your life on God's word. And of all the things that God's word is, one of the main things that it is, is a foundation for our life. If we don't build our lives on the truth of God's word, our lives are going to fall apart. And so the enemy does everything he can to distract us from the truth of God's word. And so that's what we talked about last week. And, and uh, God's word is essential for, for, um, for at least two reasons, for many, many reasons. But the, the first reason that we need God's word is to know him better. And then the second thing is that when I get to know God better, then I can better know who I am and who he designed me to be. And this is why Satan wants to rock your world and distract you from giving yourself to God's word because ultimately he doesn't want you to know who you really are because that leads us to the second great lie of Satan. And that is Satan will lie to us and tell us you are not who God says you are. That's the second great lie. You're not who God says you are. And so last week was the truth lie. Today is the identity lie about your identity in Christ. And so I want to talk about that today. And uh, I want to take us to a really cool little verse, a passage of Scripture found in Zechariah chapter 3. And I want to read the first five verses of this. And then we'll get into the word. So it says, then, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood by him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, now this is the prophet Zechariah getting caught up in the vision. He said, I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. 
So the angels around him put a clean turban on Joshua's head, and they put new clothes upon him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. I love that passage of Scripture. We're going to get into that here in a moment. Let's pray right now. Father, thank you for your presence here today, and we've been singing about your righteousness, your grace, your mercy, your love for us. And I just pray today, God, that where we are dealing with identity in our own hearts and who we are in you, I pray today, God, that you would expose the work of the enemy in our thinking and in our living today. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. So, Rick Warren, who pastored a little church out there in Southern California, (laughs) said, The way you see yourself shapes your life. The way you see yourself shapes everything about the way you live. So if you think too highly of yourself, which is what we call pride, that can ruin you. If you think too little about yourself, and you kind of grovel in a lot of self-loathing and self-hatred and just kind of overall disappointment with yourself, that too can ruin you. Um, It's not what you think about yourself or what others think or say about you or even what the devil says about you that matters. All that really matters is what God says about you. That's why I love this passage that I read to you out of Zechariah 3. So, Let's just kind of get look at those uh, look at this story again. God gave the prophet Zechariah several visions to try to help the nation of Israel stay on point with their restoration when God brought them back home to their homeland after being in, in uh, Babylonian captivity for seventy years. And uh, so God wanted them to step into their full restoration. And so this particular vision that Zechariah sees in Zechariah chapter 3, this is about Satan who is, uh, this is about Israel, basically Joshua and Israel are carrying this shame and this condemnation of a former life. And God had brought them back home, but they were still groveling with all the rebellion and all having drifted so far away from God. And God wanted them to know how he saw them. He wanted them to know, this is why, this is the way I see you. I know you appear to be one thing, or you feel one way, but I want to give you a clear picture of how it really is. And so in the picture, the Bible says that Joshua, Joshua is standing before the presence of the Lord, literally meaning that he is serving in the house of God, that he's serving the Lord, but he's dressed in filthy clothes. And as he's ministering to the Lord, the Satan, Satan is right there resisting him and opposing him. But God is right there too. And God says to Satan, I rebuke you. And then he says to the attending angels around, and this is in a supernatural way, God is giving a picture. He's saying, I want you to know that I'm removing the filth. And I'm putting rich clothes on you. 
Come on, how many want some Gucci in the house today? Is that even a thing anymore? Back in my day, it was Jordash. Remember Jordash jeans? Disgusting. So he said, I'm putting new clothes upon you. And then... And so they put new clothes upon him, which represents the righteousness of God. The clean turban on his head meant that his mind, his, his thoughts, his brain was being changed. So he not only cleansed him of his sin, but he changed his mind. Began to transform his mind. Amen. And Joshua's identity was determined by God. Not by what Satan said. Not by what he felt. Not by his past but by what God said about him. I love that story. Satan has declared war on your identity because he knows that if we, he knows the surest way to wreak havoc in our lives and in our relationship is to get us to think uh, differently about who we really are than what God says. Satan refused to accept God's identity and instead he sought his own identity. And now he wants to do that in everyone else's life, too. The very thing he did to himself. Trying to find his own way, his own identity, and be something other than what God created him to be. That's what he wants to do in your life. That's his plan. That's his plot. That's the, that's the core of his lie. To take you away from who you really are. And so he does everything in his power to rob us of our identity and God created us with his identity and Satan wants us to live out of some counterfeit identity I don't know if you know this but our culture today is in full-blown crisis of identity and this is not just a Gen Z problem people of all ages are struggling with who they really are or if their life really matters. We're asking questions like, who am I? What determines my identity? They're asking questions like, what is my purpose in life? And by the world's standards, we're told to, to look inward, to explore ourselves, to go on some journey of self-discovery, Instead of discovering our true identity in Christ, we're living from a crisis of identity. And what is needed is less self-discovery and more God-discovery. Because the more you know about God, the more you learn about yourself. Hallelujah. And so today, I want us to arm ourselves and equip ourselves with the truth of God's Word about how to handle the lie, you're not who God says you are. And if we're going to reject Satan's lie and believe what God says about us, the first thing we need to do is acknowledge our own personal identity crisis. Number one, we have to come to grips. Where am I struggling in my identity? Where am I uncertain about myself? Where do I feel insecure or confused about myself? This isn't just a world problem. This is a Christian problem too. And uh, we either get our identity from our experiences in the world that we've lived in, or we get it from heaven, or we get it from God. 
So we have to decide, where am I getting my identity from? Because we can come and sing the songs about God's goodness, and we can come and learn and hear the sermons and go back out and live in a poor understanding of who we really are. And it shows up in our lives and the choices that we make. This is what God's identity, look at this. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Even before he made the world. Now check this out. This is God's identity for you. Before he even created the earth. God loved us. Everybody say, God loves me. God loved you before you were you. And before the world was ever in existence, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy. To be holy and without fault in His eyes. Hallelujah. That's your reality. And to everyone who doesn't yet know Jesus, that is their true identity. That is their true reality, even though they have not come into that yet in their understanding. Amen. And so, we all have, from time to time, a crisis of our identity. And where does that come from? Well, There are a few things. First of all, it could be a lack of knowledge. You just don't know it. Nobody's ever told you this. Nobody's ever revealed this. Maybe we haven't learned it in the Bible. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Some of us just don't know who we really are because we're not applying ourselves to the Word of God and understanding what God says about us. That my identity is more than in my family pedigree. It's more than in the experiences that I've had. It's more than the uh, failures, places that I failed. It's, it's, it's a, it comes from a different place than my successes or my financial uh, pursuits. I don't get my identity from that. I get my identity from God. But we don't know it. Some of us still believe that we are the sum total of our life experiences. Our identity isn't in where we've been, but in who God says we are. So I need to, this is why we need to get God's word on in us. And, and God in his word has said who you really are. But if I don't apply myself to the word of God, how am I going to know who I really am? I'm out there bombarded by everything the world says. And the experiences that I have and the feelings that I feel. And I'm living off the past of my experiences. And so I come to church, as I said earlier, and we sing the songs and we go through the motions. But we don't really buy into who I really am. But we've got to get, he said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Amen. So I want to just remind you that the right information brings life transformation. When you get God's word in you, you begin to understand who you really are and your identity changes to who God designed you to be. Amen. Come on, can I get a good amen? So, 
Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, that anyone who believes in him, he said this to the Jews, who believed in him, if you abide in my word, everybody say abide in my word. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. If you abide in my word, you're going to know the truth. And the truth will do what? Make you free. It'll transform your life. You'll no longer think according to how it used to be or the things you did or the places you were. You are now set free. Amen. So some of us are in an identity crisis because of lack of knowledge. Others of us have a crisis of identity because we believe the, pe- the things that people say and do to, to us. Much of our identity is formed by negative words or actions that wounded us. Very often, we are wounded as children. Things are said. Things are done. Things are not said. Things are not done that wound our soul. And we carry that with us. And there's little lies that we believe about the things that were said to us. And we buy into that. And... Uh, It's the words of disappointment that were spoken over us. The emotional neglect that maybe we experienced or the physical abuse that that we felt in our lives. And so there's a danger in finding your worth in either the praise of people or the rejection of people, but we often do it. We often find our worth in whether or not people applaud me, laud me, Honor me, and if they don't, then I'm a nobody. Amen. If they thank me for all the things that I do, then I'm somebody. But if they don't thank me, I must not be a I must be a nobody. Come on. And so we too often believe what people say about ourselves, about us. People love Jesus. I love in John chapter 2, the Bible talks about how the people were praising Jesus and loving Jesus, and they saw the works that he did, and they just really loved him. But the Bible said Jesus didn't even pay attention to their accolades because he knew what was in men's hearts. Why would he concern himself? Because he knew they're praising me now. Later, they won't be praising me. Now they're honoring me. Later they're going to crucify me. I don't put my stock in what people say about me. Why should I? The Father is pleased with me. That's all that really mattered to Jesus. He knew that he was doing the Father's will. And the Father was pleased with him. But oftentimes we have identity crisis because we're putting too much stock in the praise or the rejection of people. Amen. Another reason why we have identity crisis is because of past sins. As hard as it is to forgive others, and it can be hard to forgive others. Can I get a a silent amen? It can be really hard to forgive other people. Sometimes it's really hard to forgive yourself. Sometimes we can't forgive ourselves because we have this reoccurring problem or reoccurring addiction in our life and we think, oh man, there's just, I, I, I'm just, I'm a mess. I'm a screw up. I'm, I'm a failure in my life. 
Remember what God did to Joshua in Zechariah chapter 3. The Bible said he was in filthy garments. And God removed them. And he gave him clean garments. Hallelujah. God removed them. Everybody say remove. Look at Psalms 103 verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That word remove means he sent it far away. See, sometimes we treat our sins like this, like we're saved and we're forgiven of our sins, but for some reason, we tend to pick them up and carry them with us wherever we go. We go to church carrying our sins. We meet people on the street carrying our sins as though I know God forgave me. See, I got my bag of sins. I've got proof I was a sinner. He saved me. But we carry these sins around and and we carry these things with us everywhere we go. How are you doing today? Great. And we carry them. We don't let go of them. We camp around them. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. God removed your sin. He doesn't need you to pick them up and carry them around and remind yourself of how awful you were. Oh, I never want to forget where he brought me from. Listen, let it go. You won't forget where he brought you from, but you don't have to carry it with you everywhere you go. Because here's what happened. We become so sin-centric in our life. Everything about who we are, if we foul up one little bit or one big bit, we think, it's over for me. What you're doing is holding on to sin. You don't need to hold on to it. Why? Because God's removed it. This isn't for you to carry around. God took your sin... Would you come over here for a second? Right here. What was your name again? Matt. Matt. God bless you. Say say hi to Matt, everybody. You're going to play God for me. This is not a stretch for you. God took my sin away. Will you take my sin and just take it to the back of that room way over there for me real quick? Go ahead and do that. There's where your sin is at. You're holding on to stuff. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate that. You're holding on to stuff that you don't need to hold on to. It's forgiven. And God sent it far away. Hallelujah. Come on, can I get a good amen? Here's what Micah chapter 7 verse 19 says. He will again have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Come on, can I get a good amen out there? Here's another, here's another thing that causes us to struggle or have an identity crisis. It's our own personal performance. Much of our identity is in how well we're doing. How well we're doing in our personal spiritual lives, how well we do with our money, how well we do with our job, how successful we are in business, how successful we are in relationships. If my relationships are failing, then I must be terrible. If my business failed, there's something wrong with me. 
If I keep falling flat on my face, even though God has forgiven me, there's something wrong with me. And we're looking to our performance. We're looking to what we're doing as to whether or not, as to who we are in Jesus. Listen, the problem is, is that when we get into that mindset, here's what we're doing. We're living for our identity rather than from our identity. If I'm doing it right, if I'm doing it well, then I feel better about myself. But if I'm screwing up, if I'm falling short, then I don't feel good about myself. But see, you can live from your identity, not for it. And even if you mess up, and even if things fall apart, you know that you know who you are. And you don't build your life on that, you don't base your life on that, You base your life on the reality of who God says you are. Amen. Remember Jesus, when he got baptized in the water, the voice came from heaven. The Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that great? Do you know God, the Father, said that to the Son before he ever cast out a devil? before he ever raised a dead person, before he ever taught a really good message, before he sat down with sinners and people that were broken, before Jesus ever did any of that, the Father said, I'm pleased with you. God wasn't pleased with the Son because of what he did. He was pleased with him because who he made him to be. That's the way God looks at you and I. Listen, everybody has bad days. Turn to, turn to your neighbor and say, I had one this week. Go ahead and tell them that. See, you've just confessed your sins one to another. Everybody has a bad day. But you can still know who you are, even with you, when you have an off day. Amen. So, what is your personal crisis of identity? Is it? Your past sins, is it whether or not you're doing everything just right at the right time in the right way with the right motivation? Is it, you know, we, we all mess up. What, where, where is your crisis identity? Because when we know where it comes from, then we can know then, I think, the next thing we need to do, number two, is we need to guard against identity theft. This is the work of the enemy to try to rob you of your identity. Jesus said, remember what he said in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal. What does he want to steal? He wants to steal the identity of who you are in Jesus Christ. He wants to rob you of that. I did a little research on identity theft in the United States, and it just so happens that we uh, experience identity theft in our nation to the, uh, to the value of about $52 billion a year. And not only is there a great financial loss with identity theft, but people emotionally talk about how worried and anxious and angry and guilty and shame they feel over what they've been going through to the point where a significant number of people want to commit suicide because of what they went through. And so the same is true. Satan is a thief. He wants to destroy our identity in Christ and rob us of who we really are. And the cost is astronomical to us, personally. 
And so I want to talk about how do, how do we guard against identity theft? Well, the very first thing you need to do to guard yourself against Satan robbing you of who you are, number one, see your position in Christ. See your position in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Where are you right now? In Christ. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're in Christ. That's where you are. Now, I know that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. Ephesians 3.17 tells us that, that Jesus lives in our heart by faith. But Jesus is not only in my heart by faith, I am in Christ. He's in me, and I'm in Him. Amen. This is so important to know your position. Many of us don't see it this way. We don't see that we are in Christ and that we are seated with Him in heavenly places. I live in the earth, but I live from heaven. I'm in Christ. I'm seated with Christ, and I'm in Christ. And so while I'm living here below, Literally, I'm living from heaven's perspective and place and power. And this is so important for us. Now, when I saw this phrase, in Christ, I remembered, I hearkened back when I was in Bible college. This kind of came to me a few years ago. When I was in Bible college, we, I, took a, I took a Greek class. I, it was a two-year course that took me three years. I always try to tell people that. Uh, and in Greek class, to help us understand how to read Greek and to understand the grammar of Greek, they gave us this prepositional chart. And I want them to bring it up on the screen up there for you. And so some, some of the words that you maybe can see, I don't know if you can see them way back there, there's a Greek word. And these are all prepositions in the Greek and in the um, English. And so the circle represents the subject of the sentence that we're talking about, okay? So, so you can be in it or out of it, going into it or away from it, above it, beneath it, beside it, or whatever. So you, you know it, you understand uh, basic English there. So when I saw, I remember that circle. Notice the word in right there in the center, in. Now, if that circle is Jesus in, the, in this verse of Scripture, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old things have gone. The new has come, right? So if I'm in Christ, this means that I'm not beside Christ. I'm not beneath Christ, though he is Lord and I'm not, but that's not what he said here. He didn't say if anyone is beneath Christ, he is a new creation. I'm not over Christ. I'm not better than Christ. I'm not more important than Christ. Christ isn't just beside me or I'm not just around him, but I'm in him. I'm in Christ. I'm in Jesus. And why this is so important is, is that everywhere I go and whatever I face, 
I'm in Christ. When I go into a spiritual battle in my life, I'm in Christ. When I'm facing temptation in my life, I'm in Christ. When I fall short, I'm in Christ. It's not like we're in and out of Christ. Paul said if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So what if I fall flat on my face? What if I commit a sin? Does that mean that Jesus leaves me or that I'm out of Christ or I got away from Christ or I ran out of Christ? No, I am in Christ. I'm in him. He's in me, but I'm in him. And everywhere I go, Jesus is with me. And everything I face, Jesus is right there with me. Amen. Even Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said to them, he said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That God's Spirit dwells in you? And then he went on and he said, and he's writing to Christians, why are you sleeping with prostitutes? Don't you know that when you sleep with a prostitute, listen to his words, you take Jesus right into that bed? You're in Christ. I feel the glory coming on. <laughs> you don't need to turn on lights if you don't want to. It's okay. I, it just shines my bald head more. You're in Christ. Even when you mess up, you're in him. Now that's not an excuse to mess up. You ruin your life. You'll mess your marriage up. You'll mess your children up. You'll mess people up around you because of the choices that you make. And that's what Paul is saying. You belong to the Lord. The Lord lives in you. And you are in him. So knock it off. Amen. I bet you thought I was going to show you the hula hoop today. <laughs> Nothing doing. Amen. You're in Christ. The bag of sins is gone. You're in Christ. You're not, well, I'm, I'm really trying to get closer to Jesus. Well, that's... I mean, I understand what you're saying, closer in relationship and understanding and walking with him. But you're not, he doesn't want you to get close. He wants you to get into him. To know that that's your reality. Amen. So, that was the hula hoop. So, see your position in Christ. The second thing that we need to do to guard our identity is to stand your ground. See who you are, and then you don't give the devil an inch. You stand your ground. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand. Everybody say withstand. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. Right? And then James said, James chapter 4, verse 7, Therefore, submit to God. Resist. Everybody say resist. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Notice that. We're not running from the devil. He's running from us. When you know who you are, actually, by God's grace, you know who's in charge. And it ain't him. Amen. But that word in Ephesians, withstand, and then this word, resist, they are the same Greek word, just translated differently in the context. But the word literally means to stand against Satan. To stand against him. Don't give an inch to him. When Satan comes to shatter your confidence or to weaken your resolve, you just stand in defiance. This last week, I I came across an old dream that I had that I had forgotten about it. And I was so glad that I came across it because I knew what I was going to be talking about. But I I found this dream that I had written down on somewhere, and it was a dream that I had in the year 2009. And in the dream, Julie and I were taken to this kind of jungle, kind of mountainous area with, that was just full of jungle. And we were there to hike this hill up to the top. And that was a, it's a dream in itself because we don't hike, Julie and I. And... Um, So we were hiking up this mountain. It was a very rugged terrain. And we were on our way up when all of a sudden this snake came out and just kind of, you know, like like snakes that are going to strike, became erect. And and it was a snake that with fangs and everything. And we just stopped in our tracks and we were looking at the snake in the dream. And then the one thing that I noticed in the dream about the snake is that it it, it was like the appearance of a snake skin without the substance of the snake body. But it looked like a snake. It was living, it was hissing, it was coming against us, but it was like the skin. It was translucent. You could almost see through it. And we just stood there in my dream. And then finally the snake went down and slithered off into the jungle. And the thing that I remember that stood out to me so much was that It had the appearance of a snake. It looked like a snake, but it lacked the substance of a snake. In other words, it didn't have any power. You know, Satan only has as much power as you give him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if you give him power, he'll take the power. But he's been... Literally, he's been robbed of his power through Christ. And so when he comes at us, and he will come at us, if we stand our ground, he can't withstand us. He has to flee. And the other thing that I noticed about that, that was that, that we just stood there and eventually he goes away. And this is so important because Satan hasn't changed his M.O. from the very beginning. This is the way that he operates. He moves in and he tries to intimidate you. He tries to uh, accuse you. He tries to condemn you. He tries to tempt you. But if you will stand your ground, he won't stick around. But you have to stand there. You have to stand your ground in who you are and don't give him an inch. Amen. Come on, can I get a good amen? amen? So, to not believe the lie of the enemy, we have to 
come to grips with where am I, why do I have a crisis of identity in my life and pinpoint that issue. What are the lies that I'm believing? And, and, and then I need to guard my identity. I need to understand who I am. I need to understand in whom I live and dwell. Stand my ground. And then that brings me then to this third idea is that we need to reveal our true ID in Crete. In Christ, are every everybody got a driver's license on them? How is it that driver's license pictures are the worst pictures in the world? At least mine are. I know this is going to be a terrible example, so please forgive me if you're a police officer. I mean nothing by this, but you know when you anybody here been pulled over by the police before in your life? Wow, look at all of us sinners here. <laughs> So I mean, this is not, I mean, no disrespect to police because they do, how many know that they do a great job and we need them and we should be praying for them. We want to pray for them, but I'm going to use them as a poor example. So when the police pull us over, what do they do? They request driver's license or some form of ID and your proof of insurance, right? So Satan, here we are journeying in our walk with God. We're going somewhere. Satan tries to pull us over. What he's doing is he's not requesting your ID. He wants to attack it. He wants to destroy it so that he can rob you of your assurance. Get it? Get it? Get it? He wants you not have no proof of your assurance in Christ. And so that's what Satan is out to do. So what are we to do? So our ID is given to us by Christ in His Word. This is your ID. This is mine. It actually has my name. Timothy Joel Mosslander on it. I wish that it said that he only weighed 150 pounds, that he has a full head of hair, you know. I wish it said certain things, but it doesn't say those kinds of things. But it actually tells you who you really are. This is your form of ID right here. What God says about you is what you need to reveal. When the enemy comes to lie to you, and he will, he does, he did, Maybe even this morning already, he was beginning to whisper lies into your heart about who you were, trying to get you to buy into it. And the sad thing is, is that when we begin to think those thoughts and dwell in that, and it brings our mood down, and it gets our attention, and distracts us, and pulls us away from what we committed to do, we're believing the lie. Come on, we're believing the lie. Let's not play around here. If the enemy says you can't do this, and you say, you know what, I think you're right. I'm just going to call off. I'm just going to tell him I can't do it. You believe the lie. Christians do it all the time. But this is your identification card. If you want to know who you are, you've got to go here. So that when Satan comes to you, and he says to you that you are worthless, 
that you have no value, that you're insignificant, and he will do that to you. He does that to people all the time. He will come at them and he will say, you are a worthless person. You are not valuable. You don't, you're not significant. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody pays attention to you. Then you need to take him to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And this is what 1 John says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Just stay right there. Father God loves you. You are loved of the Father. He has lavished His love upon you. And you know what? Satan will say, you're worthless. You tell him, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. No, you're worthless. No, I'm a child of God. That's who I am. All my, all my uh, faults and all my flops and all my shortcomings. You know what I am? I'm a child of God. That's who you are. When Satan comes to you and says, you're a failure. And you'll always be a failure. And you're incapable of doing anything right. Sometimes I, I find myself sometimes talking to myself and saying really bad things to myself because of my mistakes. And I'll say things like, stupid, dumb. You know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm reiterating Satan's lies. That's what I'm doing in that moment. When Satan says that you're a failure, you're screw-up, and you'll always fail, you'll always mess up, then you can take him to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul said that we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. When Satan says you're a failure, you say, you know, I'm a masterpiece. I mean, look at it. Read it for it. Put it in the first person. I am God's masterpiece. That's how you're supposed to read the Bible. He's talking to a church, but read it personally. I am God's masterpiece. Another translation says, I am God's work of art. And he has created me anew in Christ Jesus. So I can do the good things that he planned for me to do long ago. That's the truth. You're a failure. I'm a masterpiece. I'm a work of art. Amen. You're worthless. I'm a child of God. No, you're worthless. You aren't worth anything. No, devil, you're dumb. I'm a child of God. Did you read the book? I showed you my ID. Amen. Or when Satan comes to you and says that you're disgusting. You're a disgusting person, meaning you're ugly. Look at the sinful things that you do, or you're too heavy, or you're too this, or you're too that. 
Nobody likes you. Nobody wants you. That feeling of disgust. Satan does whisper this in the hearts of people. There must be something wrong with you. Then you take him to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, where it says, The Lord your God is with you. I want to read this in the first person. The Lord my God is with me, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take, he will take great delight in me. In his love, he will no longer rebuke me but will rejoice over me with singing. That's how God feels about you. Amen. I love those words because he said, God delights, he delights in me. He actually delights in me. Amen. And that, he also said, go back to that verse if you would that he rejoices over me with singing. You know, we sing to the Lord all the time. You don't know that he's been singing over you. But it says right here he does. He sings love songs over you. And that word rejoice, it doesn't mean that God's just smiley happy. The word rejoice literally means he leaps and twirls in the air with songs over you. Sometimes we see the little kids up here, little girls, little, and even the little guys just dancing around when the music's going on. And that's a picture of what God is doing over you. So the next time he comes to you and says, you are not good. You just say, God seems to really be attracted to me. Amen. He sings over me. He takes great delight in me. Do you believe this stuff that we're talking about here today? This is the truth. And I'm going to tell you something. The world would be so much better off if the Christians could really get this truth in them. I think we would relate to people better if we really understood who we were. And not get insecure and feel like we've got to take up arms and come against everything that's coming against God and truth. I'm not for it either, but I know that if I have a better understanding who I am, that I'm going to look a lot more like Jesus in the process, and I'm not going to be anxious about the evil in the world because I know who I am. I've got my ID card to prove it. And it isn't because I got it together. It's because he said, this is what I've done for you, and he gives it to me. That's it. That's the facts, and that's the truth. Amen. How about if Satan comes to you and says, you'll never change. You'll always be this way. You'll always fall back to that same thing. You'll always go out with that kind of person. You'll always do this. You will always, you'll never change. You'll never change. You take him to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed. You're a liar. I am changing. I'm not what I used to be. Hallelujah. Things are shifting in my life. I'm being changed 
into his glorious image. One more that I want to share with you. If Satan comes to you and says, if people knew who you really were, they would not like you. And then you say to him, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, here, devil, here's who I really am. You are not like that. For you are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. That's who you are. You are chosen. You are royal. You are holy. And you are special to God. That's your identity. People knew who I really was. Am they would know that I'm a chosen person, a holy person, a special person. Amen. As a result, he goes on to say, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you had no identity. Look at those words. Once, uh, it's not up there, verse of scripture. Second Peter, or uh, is it first Peter? Second Peter. Nope, it's the wrong it's the wrong one. I'm sorry. That was my fault. Anyway, at one point we had no identity. I'm sorry about that. Oh, I'm such a screw up. I just wanted to give you an example. That's, this, is, this is a sneak peek into my world right now. I'm a masterpiece. I just painted outside of the line there a little bit but I am a masterpiece, and so are you. Amen. Let's all stand. Satan's big lies are you can't believe what God says, and you can't believe what God says about you, that it's true. That's a big lie. Many of us are believing it. And God wants to cleanse us of the lies that we're believing. I'm going to have the prayer people, if they will come at this time and prepare to pray for you. If you want prayer for anything here today, um, we want to invite you to come up for prayer. Let's open up our hands before the Lord right now. Let's just receive his love. Come on, let's just stand in the love and the grace and the goodness of God. And let's just believe what he says. That you are my child. You are a masterpiece. I am delighted with you. I'm singing and dancing and twirling over you. You're my chosen people. You're my holy people. You're my special people. God, I pray that there would come a revival in the hearts of your people, a revival of identity. That we know who we are even before we even do anything right or good. That you made us who we are. It's not something that we earned. It's not something that we got better at because we're just that good and then you brought us into who we are. No, you made us that way and now we walk it out 
every day of our lives complete and full surrender to you. Lord, we pray for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit today for every one of us, God, to live in your full strength and power, to live out what you have worked into our lives. Change us, Lord. Continue to change us. Continue to transform us. Continue to make us more and more like Jesus in every way, fully understanding that we are fully and completely yours. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. Thank you for your word. And I pray it becomes a living reality in every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.